Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Tonight on Huckabee, infectious disease expert, Dr. David Aronoff, documentary filmmaker, Ami Horowitz, comedian, Moody Malavi, and country music singer, Tracy Lawrence. Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Bilbrey. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Hey, today is a big day because this week marks the 200th episode of The Huckabee Show here on TVN. It feels like just yesterday that we were celebrating episode 100. But if I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. I am having the time of my life. And if you don't believe me, Hey, just see for yourself how much fun we've had. Watch. Boy, what a show we have tonight. You do not want to miss any of it. The way to a man's heart is through his stomach. There you go. You go. Hear that, everybody. Let me tell you something, ma'am. <laughs> it touches them! Whoa! Yeah! Get it! I think we should just call the whole thing off. I, think that's what... I may need a couple more of these. All right, all right, all right. That's all, folks. You see how much fun that we've been having? And this wonderful audience here in our theater, they're having a good time tonight, too. I hope you will come and be part of our studio audience sometime. I promise you'll have a great time. You really will. Now, there is a key difference between how those on the right and left view the economy and the role of the government. Right now, we're experiencing the stark contrast as the Biden administration carries out its policies that lean to the left in some cases, to the far left. I want to share with you some basic truths about how the economy works. The rule of supply and demand says that if the demand is higher than the supply, prices go up. So if a lot of people want a car or a house, but there's a low inventory of cars and houses, the prices will go up. The more demand, the higher the price. Now that's true for gasoline, groceries, or even gravel. Conversely, if there was a huge supply and little demand, prices will plummet. And this is true of labor as well. If there are lots of help-wanted signs and job openings, but not many workers willing to take the jobs, employers will have to bid up the wages and they'll have to pay more to get somebody to come to work. But what they may do is try to function with fewer employees, which in the long run 
That means fewer jobs. Another truth is that taxes taken by the government mean less money for a family or a business. Of course we need taxes to pay for essential services and functions, uh, whether it's having a military, airports, waterways, police departments, fire trucks, roads and highways, parks or sewer systems. Got to have those things. But whatever the government does for you, it takes from you in order to do it. And if they do stuff you don't want or need, it costs you in real money. Because that's money you don't get to keep to buy clothes for your teenager, buy food, pay your housing costs or utilities, or even put gas in your car. When prices go up, but wages don't, that is inflation. And by the way, inflation is a silent tax on you. If the cost of your electricity, gasoline, food, building supplies, and the cost of labor goes up, you have less money left to do the things that you want to do. And you've got less money to buy things that you want to buy. The decrease in what you can afford to buy leads to fewer things being sold. That means fewer things will be manufactured and fewer things will be transported, which means some people who made, shipped, or sold those things will lose their jobs. You see, everyone gets hurt by inflation. And we're seeing a real uptick in inflation right now under the policies of the Biden administration and the Democrats in Congress. I'm not trying to be overly political. I'm just telling you what it is. Now, those on the left believe that government ought to do more, much more, to redistribute the money in the economy by taking more from the people who have worked and then giving to those who either didn't work or who didn't earn as much as others. Sometimes government promises to do things for people. We're going to give you a free college. We're going to give you a free childcare. But it isn't free. It ain't free at all. The government will have to take more of your money to pay for it. And when taxes are higher, you got less money. And your employer, he has less money. And then you can't buy things you want, and your employer can't increase your wages or increase your benefits. And a store can't afford to put more items on the shelf. That means fewer things are ordered. Fewer things get chipped. Fewer things are made. Get the picture? Well, good. Because the folks on the left don't seem to. You see, they truly believe that they can spend your money better than you can. And if you actually believe that, you're going to love those who govern from the left. If you believe that you could spend your money better than the government, then you might want to vote for people more on the right. It's really not that complicated. And by the way, how you vote will determine how you live. It was Barack Obama who said elections have consequences. They really do. And if you've bought gasoline, clothes, food, or planned a vacation lately, I hope you have noticed the consequences, because there are some. My first guest tonight is a medical doctor and the director of infectious disease medicine at Vanderbilt University. As a new variant of the coronavirus is surging in some places in the country, what's the right approach to get us through it? Some politicians seem to think locking us all down again is the best answer. Others say enough is enough. And why is there so much controversy over the vaccine? Well, here to break down all of this and to help separate reality and fact from fiction on this issue, and some of us wish we could just end it already and get back to living, let's welcome a very favorite of ours, Dr. David Aronoff. It's so good having you back. You have been such a voice of reason, and you make it where we can understand it. This week, the CDC has said that even vaccinated people may have to start wearing masks all over again when they go indoors. I thought that was one of the reasons we maybe got the vaccination so we could live freer. Why will that be necessary, and is it necessary? Does the science really back that? This pandemic has changed a lot as we've been living through it. And I think the game changer here recently is that we're seeing the variant of the SARS-CoV-2 virus called the Delta variant. And it is so contagious that it's really changed the math for us. 
Uh, we were enjoying a little bit of a period where vaccinated people didn't need to wear masks at all. They weren't thought to play any role in transmission. Um, but a significant fraction of our population is still vulnerable, not vaccinated. We're seeing rates of disease going up in the United States now with this more contagious variant of the virus. And people who are vaccinated are protected from ending up in the hospital or protected from death, but they can still get infected and can still spread the virus even though the risk is lower when they're vaccinated. And so given the fact that we're seeing a lot of spread of the virus, rates are going up, we're asking people essentially to use a belt and suspenders approach. If you're vaccinated, take that low risk of being part of the chain of transmission and make it even lower. And that's really the ask from the CDC. When people are thinking about uh, this resurgence because of the Delta variant, I think a lot of people are really afraid we're gonna go back into a lockdown situation. And quite frankly, I'm not sure that worked really well the first time we did it. I can't imagine that Americans are ready to go through that all over again. Do we even need to? Well, where we're at now is a different place. When this pandemic began, and for the better part of a year, everybody on earth was vulnerable to getting COVID-19. And we really tried a lot of different public health maneuvers to protect everyone around. And now many people have had COVID and many more people are getting or have gotten vaccinated. And so where we're seeing outbreaks are in smaller communities and different regions where a lot of people, for example, are not vaccinated. So the idea that we're going to need widespread quote unquote lockdowns or mandates is much less likely now than it was before. But certainly we wanna do anything we can to keep people safe. And right now, as opposed to lockdowns or mandates, the single most important thing we can do if we're eligible to get vaccinated and can get to a vaccine is to do that, to protect ourselves from getting sick, even mildly sick, but also to protect the people who we may not even know who end up getting the virus because we spread it and they end up on a ventilator or end up dying from COVID-19. That's what we really need to prevent. A lot of people are afraid of the vaccine. And I, I hear that from very thoughtful, intelligent friends of mine who just say, I'm not sure. The FDA hadn't even approved this. Speak to that issue. The FDA hasn't approved it. Uh, that's a really common question and criticism of, I'm worried about getting a, a vaccine that hasn't been formally approved by the FDA. Of course, these vaccines have been studied extensively prior to being used in the public and showed that they were safe and effective. But now we've seen almost 400 million doses of the COVID vaccines given in the United States under very watchful eyes of the people getting the vaccines, the people giving the vaccines, the CDC, the FDA, the media. And we've seen that they work. They're protecting us from getting sick. They're slowing disease transmission and they're very, very safe. And so I think that the Emergency Use Authorization, or EUA, has done exactly what we need it to do. And I'm hopeful, of course, that we get formal approval soon so that if that's a barrier for people, yeah. they'll drop that argument. But honestly, we know more about the safety and effectiveness of these vaccines than the majority of medications that have been in the market for quite a while. So FDA approval doesn't mean that uh, we've suddenly determined that it's okay. It, it's sort of a bureaucratic type of process that has to go through. And everybody knows that normally takes years for a drug to work its way to the marketplace. Uh, so that makes some sense. You know, my wife and I have been vaccinated. I, I didn't have any hesitation because, you know, I'm in the age group and I just said, I'm not worried as much about what might happen from the vaccine but I'm kind of concerned about what could happen with COVID. I've seen friends die. I've had friends that have been on ICU. If you were speaking to those folks, which you do all week uh, in town halls, what's the best way that you can alleviate some of the anxieties people have about the vaccine? Well, first and foremost, as I mentioned, we've given over 400 million doses of these and serious side effects are really, really rare as hen's teeth. And, um, and yet, exactly what you said about COVID is so important. For every 100 people that are diagnosed with COVID, 
one of those people dies of the disease and two or three end up in the hospital. And even young, healthy people can lose their sense of taste or smell for months. They can develop brain fog that makes it hard to work or function. And I have now seen enough people with all spectrum of COVID-19 to not ever wish that disease on anybody. The vaccines are really proving to be safe and they're keeping people from getting severely ill or symptomatic. And so a lot of it that I do is just trying to listen to people and understand their fears, anxieties, or reluctance to getting the vaccine and just walking them through. Sometimes it's a matter of saying, you know, when we get into our car to go to the grocery store, we're taking way more risk than getting a vaccine. It's much more likely that we end up in a fatal car accident. Yeah. And yet that has never stopped me from going to the grocery store to buy groceries. So I think we just need some perspective on this as well. Well, you make so much sense. We love having you. And uh, I'm almost assured that we're going to ask you back. Dr. David Aronoff, we want to say thanks so much for your time and sharing your expertise. Now, if you'd like to keep up with Dr. Aronoff on social media, here's how you do it. Follow him at DM Aronoff. It's on your screen. You can do that. Follow him on Twitter there. Right now, Dr. Keith Bilbrey is going to give you a dose of what's coming up next, and he's going to give it to you stat. So go ahead, Dr. Bilbrey. Take two aspirins, call me in the morning. Coming up, Ami Hurwitz enlightens us through his expose on Black Lives Matter. And still to come, news with a twist on In Case You Missed It. You're watching Huckabee. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Huckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. Well, we got a lot to celebrate. 200 shows that we are celebrating tonight. My next guest, yeah, that's worth a good applause. We're pretty happy about it. My next guest is known for his explosive video exposés. He has spent the past year traveling the country, filming riots and defying threats to interview hundreds of Black Lives Matter leaders and supporters. In doing so, he's uncovered the truth behind this organization that nobody was allowed to question. Well, he questioned it. He's here to tell us about it. Welcome the creator of the new digital short called Inside Black Lives Matter, Ami Horowitz. Ami, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. So nice to see you again. I have to think that going into the belly of the beast of the Black Lives Matter movement was maybe at times risky. Did you ever fear that you were going to have the daylights beat out of you? Maybe once or twice. <laughs> maybe, yeah, it is uh, not the safest environment in the world, to be totally honest. Yeah. I can think of a couple of times where at one point we were in, I think it was Minneapolis, and the riots were happening around us. And there was a neighborhood which was being burned down. And there was a, an older gentleman who was standing outside of his house trying to protect it from rioters. And we witnessed three guys attack this, this older man. And we're sitting there, with, and we have it on the, and we filmed it in the, in the video. And I, I couldn't sit around and stop it. So we had to, I had to run, grab these guys off this guy because they would have beaten him to death. Yeah. Another time I was in Portland as they were burning down the federal building. And even though I was wearing a mask, somebody recognized me. And they began uh, grabbing shards of glass because they were throwing incendiary devices to burn down the building. And, and, and there were a lot of them I had a glass, the Molotov cocktails. And they were grabbing the shards of, of glass and throwing at me. And they, it wasn't that bad. I was cut up a bit. But yeah, it is, it is not a safe space. No, I don't think it would be. What's the big takeaway? What the one thing, if you could say, that people need to know about not this phrase, Black Lives Matter, we, we agree with that. Certainly Black Lives Matter. But the organization, the structure and the organization that has taken in billions of dollars, what do we need to know about? You're only giving me one 
One takeaway? Well, I'll give you a few more, but All what's right. the big one? I would say the, the, what we have to understand about Black Lives Matter as an organization is that they, their goal is to tear down all of the structures, all of them, the judicial structure, the security structure, the political structure, the economic structure. And this is not me, look, it's one thing when we say this is what they stand for, it's something very different when you hear them say it to you. And that was the goal, is them saying it to me. And, and I spent, like you said, a year, I probably went to 15 different riots across the country, 20 or 30 protests around the country, interviewed hundreds of these people, and it was consistent. They are looking to tear it all down so they can rebuild it in their own warped image. That's their goal. That's mm -hmm. what they're trying to accomplish. We have a little clip of one of those interviews. Let's take a look. And when people are in, had enough of the violence that y'all have against us and we give it back to y'all, y'all want to be mad. Do we need violence as a yes. tool? Yes. Yes. You got to have violence. There's different, there's four levels of protest. Looting and rioting is part of being protesting. So yes, I do agree that it needs to be there. I mean, just blatantly that saying that looting and rioting are part of protesting. There, there was no hesitation. And the other person just basically, yes, violence is going to be a part of what we do. Did that shock you when you heard this? The whole thing was shocking. I mean, and I want to point out, okay, so I think this is important to note, that there is a difference between the Black Lives Matter protesters uh -huh. and the Black Lives Matter rioters. Having said that, they are two sides of the same coin. What I mean by that is, of the hundreds of protesters, forget the rioters, that I interviewed, I always asked ask them a number of questions, but one was, I asked the same question to all of them, which was, do you legitimize the violence? And with, the, uh, of the hundreds, I can think of maybe five, six that said no. The rest of them said, absolutely. We understand why they're doing it. Either they support it or they at least said, I, I, I legitimize the violence. And that's the air that the rioters need to breathe. If all the protesters who stood up and said, look, we're, 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 we support black lives, yeah. but we, we are against wholly the rioting and looting, that would have stopped it. And I want to point out one more thing, that yes, of course, black lives matter as a, as a concept. Sure. But the whole thing is, is based on a blood libel, a lie, a canard that police are running, running around killing unarmed black people. And the reality is not the case. If you look at the database that has every single example, and there have been examples of police officers killing unarmed black people, you're talking under 20 a year. And I analyzed every single one of them over the last four years. And the majority of those were either a tragic accident or the person may have been technically unarmed, but he was either attacking a police officer, trying to grab his gun, trying to choke him. And that is the majority of the time a unarmed black person was killed by police officers. The whole thing is based on a lie and, and a, a besmirching of the United States, which is what animated me to make this video and what really upset me about the entire thing. Well, I watched the entirety of your film, which I hope people will do. It is a horrifying, uh, it's not long, but it, it's worth watching. And I also read, before they changed their website, the entirety of the Black Lives Matter website, which they openly declared themselves to be against the nuclear flam family, against having mothers and fathers raise kids, openly Marxist. The one big question, and we only have a few seconds, but I want you to address this. Tens of billions of dollars have been donated, often by major U.S. corporations, to the Black Lives Matter movement. What's happened to that money? Where'd it go? We have no idea. We don't know. That's, that's the problem. And the irony of corporations donating to the organization, the organization who exists to destroy them, right? Like Lenin said, give the capitalists enough rope, they'll hang themselves. Yeah. He actually might have been right because that's exactly what these corporations are doing. They are digging their own grave by funding an organization that exists. They are open Marxists to destroy the entire capitalist system and them with it. That's why people need to see the film. And you can watch Inside Black Lives Matter online at amiharwitz.com. It is an eye-opener. And you'll also find a link to support investigations that other media outlets will not dare launch, but AMI will, as well as uh, you can connect with all of his social media links. Keith is not going to burn anything down here tonight. We won't let him. But he does have the inside scoop on the show. He's going to dish it out to you right now. Well, next, laugh out loud with Mike's in case you missed it.
Later, country music hit maker Tracy Lawrence. More Huckabee is on the way. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. What a perfect song to come back into the segment. Uh, Tina Turner's great hit, Simply the Best. Speaking of which, simply the best band anywhere on television or, for that matter, anywhere is our own band, Trey Corley and the Music City yeah. Connection. Let's hear it for him. In spite of Trey Corley. In spite of him. I have a feeling he did that song thinking that that would be a great way to maybe compliment the band. Simply well, like, the best. Play, play, play. But in this case, they're awesome. it's true. It is true. In case you haven't heard, our announcer Keith Bilbrey and his wife Emmy Jo suffered a tragic loss a few weeks ago. Their house burned down to the ground, and in the aftermath, hundreds of people have come around them with prayer and support. And a GoFundMe site has been set up on their behalf. The fund is called Coming Home, Rebuilding the Bilbreys, and many, many people have given generously. But we still need some help to reach the goal. I hope that you will go to the GoFundMe.com slash Rebuild and give generously to Keith and his wife, Emmy Jo, as they put their life back together from a horrifying tragedy. And Keith... Well, let me tell you, uh, I, the response has just been wonderful. You did a great job the other night uh, bringing all the artists together, you and Larry Black. And I'm so grateful. Emmy Jo sends her thanks. And man, I, I've done so many benefits <laughs> in my time. And... I, <laughs> I've never been the subject of one. <laughs> but one of the things that I have said about you, nobody, nobody dislikes Keith Bilbrey. Everybody oh, I'm loves sure Keith Bilbrey. If you Bilbrey. looked hard enough, you'd well, I, I can't find him. <laughs> and, and, and frankly, if I found somebody that didn't love you, I think I'd just go just tear their shirt off. There right you go. Heck I'd, yeah. I'd do it. Uh, and, and people truly know you guys have been through a lot, and I, that's just a way to well, hopefully this, want to uh, be helpful. Th- th- this whole industry has been so nice to me and, and all the fans and, and all that. It's, it's just been well, overwhelming. Very deserving. Hey, what better segue yeah. than to have some lighthearted fun with my friend Keith here tonight. So here we go. From Harry Laws to Furry Burglars, we comb the news to find stories that other shows brush off. See what I did there? I, I saw that. On In Case You Missed It. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo signed a bill to get rid of an archaic law that banned barbers from working on Sundays in the state of New York. Most barbers didn't even know the law existed because it was rarely enforced. You know, like most laws in New York these days, right? (laughs) Cuomo called the law... Sheer madness. Sheer. Sheer. Yeah. Get it? Hey, he could write for this show. He'd probably do that better than he's governing New York right now, so maybe he should. Now, I don't want to get snippy. Yes, you do. Yeah. But I think shutting down every shop seven days a week for months, that's the real madness. So is thinking that churches should be forced to close on Sundays. Personally, though, I think it's good to keep Sunday as a day of rest. A lot of New Yorkers would love to know there's at least one day a week when Andrew Cuomo is taking a break from being their governor. <laughs> yes. Now. Well, Governor, you know, speaking of barbers, uh-huh. I, I can't help but notice you've kind of been out of a barbershop for a while. Yeah, well, you know, I, I decided I'm going to grow my own mask. Yeah. I figured that that'd be one thing. <laughs> and... Uh, 
Plus, I'm thinking about maybe, uh, you know, shooting for a part on a remake of Duck Dynasty. That, what do you think? That's something. Yeah. yeah. We could be your family on Duck Dynasty. I like that. Yeah. Uh, if Trey gets old enough to grow a beard, it'll be probably something he could do, too. There you go. Hey, speaking of hairy situations, a video went viral from Duffy's Sports Grill in Miami. This is crazy. It showed a woman standing in the packed restaurant styling her hair with a heat brush right in the middle of the restaurant. Whoa. The owner suggested ladies leave their hot combs at home and just come for the hot wings. You know, I, I've never used hot wings for any kind of hair stuff, but I, I can't yeah. imagine that works very well. I, I don't think it does. You know, I think you're right about that, Keith. But, you know, in emergencies, dipping sauce could make for a great hair mousse. I mean, you've heard of dippity do, right? You know, we were talking about this earlier. Our our young, inexperienced director, uh -huh. Stephen Fogelman, never heard of never it. heard of dippity do. Mm. Can you imagine somebody never heard of dippity do? Yeah, because he's young and we're old and we've heard of it. We have better products mm. than dippity do, I guess. Well, anyway, uh, by the way, if if ladies want something to maybe uh, use in their hair, I suggest barbecue yeah. sauce. Uh, either for their hair or for perfume, because I'm gonna tell you, you put barbecue sauce all over yourself, ladies, men won't care what your Don't hair looks care. like. Don't care! Don't care! Put that sauce on. Oh, you've got a hair on your shirt. Yeah, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Next, the Bible lists 10 plagues that God visited upon Egypt. Today, we have an 11th, bureaucrats. <laughs> but that's, that's a problem that reaches far beyond just the United States. A Dutch TV producer built a biblical museum inside a giant floating replica of Noah's Ark. But it has been stuck in Ipswich, England for 18 months. No end in sight because he can't get the permits to tow it back to Holland. The Coast Guard claims that it lacks many requirements for a ship, like life jackets and lifeboats. I guess you'd need those for every animal on Earth in that ark. But the owner says it's not a ship. It's classified as a non-certified floating object. And it may be impossible to get all the certificates, permits, and registrations that they've been demanding. It might take a miracle. <laughs> there you go. Like bringing in Moses to part the sea of paperwork. Can you imagine if the real Noah had had to get government permits some amateur building something like that in his backyard. Folks, none of us would be here. None. People wonder, why did God do all this stuff in the old days? Because that's why right there. I mean, everyone would have drowned while the bureaucrats were arguing over how long a cubit is. <laughs> I always wondered. <laughs> yeah. Wondered what uh, what Noah did about pest control. You know that had to be a problem on the ark. You can ask him when we all get to I, heaven. I'm going to. There's a lot of questions <laughs> I got for a bunch of those guys. That's one of them. The other one I'm going to ask directly to God. Why'd you make snakes? Exactly. I mean, seriously, could, could we've just left those out or of the skunks. ecosystem? Skunks? Yeah. I'd rather have a skunk than a snake. Just to be honest. with Mother-in-laws. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let me, let me give you a little saying. I don't know where the rest of us will be on Thanksgiving Day, but I can tell you where you're not yeah. going to be on Thanksgiving Day. I see fast food in your future. He better make a hotel reservation. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> well, without Noah's Ark, we wouldn't have this story. In Dalton, Georgia, a raccoon got into someone's house and couldn't figure how to get out. So the fire department had to come rescue him. They tweeted this photo and said the raccoon seemed awfully embarrassed. In fact, he was so embarrassed, he was hiding his face when he was already wearing a mask. I mean, he looks almost as embarrassed as a Georgia election official. That's how embarrassed he is. All right, we better end this before I have to hide my face in embarrassment. But until next time, always remember that we read the news. Then country music star Tracy Lawrence, stay with Huckabee.
Welcome back. Whenever I want to book an Iranian Southern Baptist comedian, I call our next guest because he's the only one who fits all those descriptions. Fortunately, he's also very, very funny. Uh, you've seen him on his dry bar comedy specials, Remove Before Flight and Messing with People. He's been with us before and we love him. You are going to as well. Please welcome Moody Molavi. You ever have this feeling like everybody's just staring at you, <laughs> judging you for everything you say or do? Oddly, I have this feeling right about now. <laughs> My name is Mohammad Amir Iqbal Bijan Saeed Hamad Ali Mashtabo. I'm just kidding, man. How y'all doing? <laughs> you ever seen an audience just, they all elevated like two inches just from the clinch, you know? I thought we were on the Huckabee show. <laughs> what is that? I just like messing with people. That's what I like doing, you know. I was born in Iran, and I learned English uh, by watching these people that were just alike at the Cracker Barrel. <laughs> they seem to know their stuff. They seem to get it all together. Same plaid shirts and same shorts, khaki shorts. I'm like, I'm going to listen to them. <laughs> And now when cops ask me where I'm from, I'm like, I tell you. <laughs> They're like, all right, that sounds good. So my mom, she moved there in the 60s. You know, she's from Tennessee, and she had to learn the language on her own. And she learned it by cooking. So she'd learn the words for, for uh, different recipes and stuff like that. And she'd go to the market, and she'd try to buy things. Like, think about this. The word for egg is toch memorg. Yeah, you didn't know you were going to learn Persian tonight, but there you are. There's your cultural. <laughs> That's our education for this evening. And so she's there, this American woman's like, and they're just looking at her. So she starts squatting down real low and start flapping her little arms, you know? And she tries to make it look like some sort of orb just produced out from behind her. And they go, oh, you want the egg? You know English? Of course we know English. All the Americans come here and they talk louder and slower. So we get it. But good for you. You're trying to learn. This is good. So I learned from, uh, I learned from my father how to mess with people. He was a surgeon, uh, orthopedic surgeon at a hospital there. And he would take me into places. And one place he'd like to go was the elevator. He would always take the stairs, but if he had to pass some gas, he would go into the elevator. <laughs> Just what he did. I don't, you know. And in Farsi, in Persian, you've got two words for passing gas. One is chos, and one is guz. Guz is the loud one. And he was a master of chos. And so we'd walk in there. I'm this little 11-year-old kid. Like, okay, I'm with my dad. Why are we taking up? Oh. And I would know because I've grown up with that smell. But he would do it so he could chastise whoever the youngest person was in that hospital, like some nurse or... Uh, intern or something, and he would just yell at them, what are you doing putting your DNA forcefully into our lungs, into our noses? Horrible. So everybody knew it because everybody had already been hazed by him before. <laughs> We'd go into surgery, and they'd have all sorts of surgeries all around. They'd have a brain surgery, cardiothoracic surgery, his leg surgeries, and I'm sitting there at the end, and I'm watching my dad, you know, and he goes, Mom, would look at this. And some dude had a busted leg from a motorcycle accident. And he takes the ankle and he goes, helicopter, helicopter, helicopter. <laughs> and I fell out, man. I woke up, you know, in the nurse's lounge with smelling salts under my nose. And he didn't realize I was watching someone else's head get cracked open for a, a, a neurosurgery. And then he shows me that. And I wake up and he goes, you are no longer my son. No son of mine. So I just mess with people. He taught me how to do it. I teach my children how to do it. <laughs> we go to a restaurant. I remember going to a fast food place. And I don't mean to mess with people until it just happens, you know? And it, there's this moment that says, I should mess with that person. <laughs> so I walk in, and the guy wasn't like welcoming. Like, hey, welcome over here. And this is good. What can I get for you? He was like, what do you want? And in my mind, I was like, this person needs to smile. So I ordered my food, and then I looked down at my child, 
And I said, which is gibberish, just so you know. I don't really know Farsi that well, you know. This is what my dad sounded like when he would get mad at me. So I just did it to my child. And I thought it'd be fun right there, you know. But my child picks up that gauntlet, you know, and goes, my heart grew three times that day, you know. I did that. That is my child, you know. He just wants a cheeseburger Happy Meal, you know. Ketchup only. It's gotta be gluten free, though. My name is Moody Malawi. Thank you very much. No, it's fine. Great having you back. Thank you, sir. I want you to tell us about this project you've got called Human, I Thank You. Oh, I love it. So Human, I Thank You is the word humanity broken up into a text message, like Mm. human, I-T-Y. Yeah. And the idea is that as a society, especially today, when we first meet somebody, the first thing that goes to our mind is, is that person bad for me? And so what Human, I Thank You is, is just trying to encourage people to be good for the person that God puts in your path. Mm. So everybody comes in your path for one reason. I believe our reason to be here is to have a relationship with God, but he puts all the people in our path as a practice round to get it right. Well, I think it's a great, great thing. And so people get that on your website and in your shows? That's correct, yeah. And uh, I know you're glad to be traveling again back in churches and conventions and all sorts of things. And we're very happy to have you here. Yes, thank you so much for having me back. Moody, it is a pleasure and an honor. Thank you. And for a schedule of upcoming shows, or if you'd like to book Moody Malavi for your venue, visit MoodyMalavi.com. You'll also find some links to more hilarious videos and all of his social media pages while you're there. Right now, Keith is going to try to control himself just enough so he can tell us what we have coming up next. Well, next, country music star Tracy Lawrence on Huckabee. Next week on Huckabee, Dr. Carol Swain and the Gaplin Brothers. Country music star Tracy Lawrence has sold over 13 million records, and he's had 18 number one hits. Since making his debut in 1991, he has earned numerous CMA and ACM awards. And to celebrate his 30th year in music, Tracy has released Hindsight 2020. It's a 30-song collection of his hits, as well as a bunch of new material. Please welcome back to the show our good friend, who grew up not very far from where I did down in southwest Arkansas. Here is Tracy Lawrence. You know, this is a pretty ambitious project. 30 years, and you're doing a three-album set, 10 songs per album. So 30 songs for the 30 years of music. It really was, and a little bit overwhelming at times. When we we started talking about what we were going to do to commemorate the 30 years before COVID even started, so this was on our mind over two years ago. Uh, and it all sounds great when you're having a conversation with the staff and everything till you realize that you've got to write a lot of songs <laughs> and then you have to record a bunch of things and figure out how to sequence them, which old things are going to fit onto the package, which new things are going to work, just the whole layout. Working on one full album at a time can be a little bit overwhelming, uh, but three of them at one time uh, can be tough. I mean, that is a pretty big deal. It and is. you wrote a lot of the material, like nine out of the ten songs on the first album? I did, nine out of the ten, and wrote... Uh, on the second package, which is getting ready to drop, we're going to play the title track for you here tonight. Uh, it's called Price of Fame. Uh, five new songs on it and five old songs, old hits from years past. So I wrote all five of those. And we're going back in the studio next week to finish up the third installment. So we're finishing up next week. Tracy, you still love this stuff, don't you? I do. I'm very passionate about it. I love it a lot. When, when you were a little kid growing up, not far from where I did, 
Uh, did you envision that you would have a career that would take you all over the world and, and you would get to be one of the top country stars of the generation? Was I don't know if I dreamed that far. You know, when I was a little kid, uh, I remember watching Glenn Campbell on TV yeah. when I was four and five years old. And Glenn Campbell is from Delight, Arkansas. And Not years, far from that same little corner of Arkansas in Southwest right. Park. And my first honky-tonk band that I played with that I joined when I was 16 was based out of Delight, Arkansas. Get out of here. So I spent a lot of time there. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I grew up watching, I was a big Charlie Pride fan, yeah. Lynn Campbell, a lot of the traditional country oh, yeah. singers. So I, I was inspired by that. And then uh, around 12 years old, I, uh, I really uh, I became passionate about Merle Haggard. And then George Strait hit the scene. And that mm. Texas sound with the twin fiddles, I really fell in love with that. So that was that was when the dream really started for me when I was about 12. You know, what I love about your music is you've been authentic and true to what I call authentic and genuine country music. You haven't tried to be something else. You have played the kind of country music many of us, I always say it this way, if you're going to have country music, have country music. And I love all kinds of music. We were talking about this earlier. I mean, I'm a big fan of rock and roll and pop. And yeah, me too. I have pushed the envelopes, uh, the envelope at times, but I, I think my core and the center of who I am always comes back to traditional country music because that's the foundation that I grew up with. And that's where my songwriting comes from. Uh, that's where my vocal technique comes from, was from all those uh, traditional singers that I emulated when I was trying to develop and find my voice. You know, the Haggards and the, and the Waylon Jennings and the George Joneses and all those people. People. They were a part of the repertoire that, that really built my voice. John Anderson, I mean, you can hear those, those folks in me. And, and country music is storytelling more than it is just a tune uh, with some words that don't mean much. It's a story. Stories are being told. I, I think country music is supposed to be a reflection of things that are going on in our country. And I'd like to see it get back to that because everybody's not having a beer on their tailgate. <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot of other things. There, there's spirituality and there's heartbreak and there's, there's family and, there, and there's all these other dynamics. And I think it needs to be reflected in our music. And I, I would like to see more of that traditionalism come back and find its way to radio again. After a year off the road... What was that like getting back on a stage and, and being able to connect to your fans? A little terrifying. Was it really? <laughs> you know, I was excited about it, but but after, I mean, in 30 years of touring professionally, I've never taken that kind of time off. I mean, yeah. really, to take a year off the road, uh, and I was, uh, it took me a little bit to get my chops back up. I spent some time riding around in my pickup truck singing old Merle Haggard and George Strait songs for a little while, <laughs> trying to find my voice again and to get my stamina back up. Uh, and, but it was, it was a little bit overwhelming. I remember when we played Billy Bob's the 27th of February and had a packed house. And I was, uh, I, I didn't feel like I had my swagger back yet. You know, there's a, <laughs> there's a flow that you get on stage when the band's tight and you're getting back in your zone. It took me a little bit to find that. Let me tell you, if you ever had that moment where you just like to ride around in your truck and sing George Jones songs, would you call me? Absolutely. I'll come to wherever you are. Absolutely. I can't think of anything cooler than hanging out with Tracy Lawrence in a pickup truck as he's singing George Jones and, hits. And I know them all. <laughs> we, I, could have, we could spend hours. And I bet we could put Keith in the back of the truck and he could howl like a dog back there. We'd have us a time. Yes, we would. <laughs> Tracy, I hope this album is just a humongous success. Your career has touched so many of us. We love your music. And to put 30 songs out in three different albums, it's, it's a must-have for every music lover. And we're going to get to hear one of those tonight because Tracy Lawrence's Hindsight 2020 Volume 1. It's called Stairway to Heaven, Highway to Hell. It's out now. And you can get your copy anywhere music is sold. Again, nine of those songs he wrote just for this album. You can keep in touch with Tracy and his tour schedule at tracylawrence.com. Now, I want you to stick around. Tracy is going to sing after the break. I do not want you to miss this wonderful song from the new album. the show, go to Huckabee.tv for an online exclusive performance of You Only Get One by Tracy Lawrence. Now, here to perform with Trey Corley in the Music City Connection with Mike on Bass is Tracy Lawrence! A thousand miles on a lonely road 
Chasing a song on the radio Taking a chance before the chance is gone Grab a shirt and start your best to hang on Cause price of fame's an expensive thing Wasting youth on booze and smoky bars Cover up the pain with the tattoos and scars Harden up your heart just to survive All and sell your soul just to get by There's so much more I won't let them take I'll let through the fire Hating my mistakes I might bend but I'm never gonna break 